anyway, let's do this. Uh, so I, I do believe this opportunity to love our neighbors and our schools and this thing that I'm talking about, it actually opens up this dialogue and this conversation today of what we're going to be having uh, with this message in a good way. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open to Ephesians 3. We're going to be reading about <clears throat> the love of God there in its finest form uh, in just a few moments. But the other night, um, the other night we were getting ready for bed and getting our kids ready for bed. And uh, Grayson, our four-year-old son, he, he says something that sort of startled us, right? Like, he, he stops in, in the middle of the room and he goes, I don't like God, which we were like, whoa, whoa. And I was like, great, I'm going to be that pastor with the kid, you know, that's like rebellious and like shops at Hot Topic for all his clothes or something like that. I'm going to be that guy. And then he goes, I said, what did you say, Grayson? And he says, I don't like God. I love him. And we were like, Instant relief, right? Like, yes, back to Gap and Target. We're good. <laughs> oh, man, it was, it was awesome, right? And, and I think you would agree. Like, there's a big difference between liking and loving, right? Are you with me on that? When Christy and I were dating, you know, back before the turn of the century, <laughs> 98, 99, um, we were dating, and we used to say something to one another all the time. And it was before we said the big three words, you know, the big three, you know what I'm talking about. We, we weren't ready to say, I love you. But we used to say, I like you. And Christy would always say, I like you a lot. And I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? And, and, but there was that moment, right, when we finally were like able to say, I love you. And Christy got a, a little picture, um, and it says, I like you a lot, and it hangs in our bathroom. It kind of reminds us of that story. Because that was a good season of life where we were saying, I like you. We were just stopping short of I love you, right? But there's something different about I love you. And I think this idea that I'm trying to kind of open up to us today is that there's a pretty profound difference between liking something and loving something. I think we could all agree with that. And we're going to kind of get into this idea that, that, that God, and that, excuse me, that Paul describes as God's love. And that God's love is, is, is so vast and so, um, so indescribable that he finds some words that I think are actually pretty good to describe it that we're going to look at. But I, I want to invite you to, like I said, go to Ephesians 3. And we're going to look at this verse, and starting in verse 14, where he really is talking about a life that is grounded and rooted in love. One that is one in which we'd see no other way to live. Like, all of our eggs are in the basket of what Paul is describing here as the way we root our lives. And so I'm going to read this. We'll talk about it. We're going to talk about what I believe will be some pretty important things for all of us today. Here we go. You all ready? There you go. Three or four of you are. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, which I think is an interesting start to a prayer, because this is a prayer. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Another version says, and pray. And the question I have right there off the bat is, what's the reason? <laughs> for what reason, Paul, are you praying? We'll get to that in a moment. So Paul's praying. He's done this in Ephesians already, and he's praying for the church, by the way. And he says, from whom every, so for this reason I knew before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit and your inner being. So this is just a really powerful description here. I'm gonna read this part again. I love this part of the prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. How many need strength? Come on, right? 
with power through his spirit, which I love that because it's like, where's the power coming from? His spirit that's present in this world that's been sent to us. Jesus breathed the spirit on the disciples. There's a moment in Acts 2 when the spirit comes upon them in what? In power. So he says, strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So his spirit is this unlimited power, right? It's this unlimited, from his glorious riches. You know his riches have no end, right? They're unlimited. And it's out of this glorious, unlimited riches that we are gonna be, we're gonna get strength in our inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Christ in our hearts, dwelling. There's, I've heard people actually say, uh, you know, I don't know if I like the language of Jesus in our hearts. That's kind of, kind of weird. And I used to have, Emily, Emily, my daughter, she'd go, so Jesus is like living in my heart? And she'd kind of go like, what? And I'd be like, yeah, it's weird like that. But he does, right? Like, here's this idea of dwelling. The word dwell actually means permanent residence, meaning Jesus actually indwells us permanently. We can get into all the incarnation of Jesus coming and dwelling among us, moving in and there. We can get into all that, but we'll save that for Christmas. Um, but here we have this scripture where Jesus is living in our hearts. And then he goes on, and I pray that you being rooted, here we go, and established in love, not rooted in like, but rooted and established in love, that you may have the power together with all the Lord's people, holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of, of all the fullness of God. Now, there's another really interesting question that comes right out of that last sentence. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? I, you won't ever understand it, but you'll understand it. That's what's happening, right? Like your mind will not be able to comprehend the love of God, but you'll know it. You know what I'm saying? You know when you know? You know when you don't know how you know it, but you know it, you know? That's what's going on here. You don't know how you know it, but you know it because you've experienced it. Your mind can't comprehend it, but you can understand the love of God through the way you've experienced it in your heart. This is what's going on in this passage, which is beautiful, and I love it. So let's talk about a few other things. So what I said, what is Paul, for this reason, I pray? What's the reason? What's the reason he's praying for? Well, and if you, if you rewind and you go, this is in verse 14 of chapter 3, the first half of chapter three, Paul is talking about how he has been called to preach to the Gentiles, to share the marvelous mystery of God's, uh, God's grace and the gospel to the Gentiles, meaning everybody who's not a Jew. He's the whole mystery of Jesus, the whole gospel, if you will, the whole truth that this world needs. It's now being offered to everyone, not just to the Jewish people. That's what's going on in this part of the passage. And he's saying, and you church, I, I'm the least to do this. Paul, I, I'm not qualified to do this, but God's called me to it. He's chosen me. I got to do it. And you church, you're supposed to do it with me. In verse 10, he says, the manifold wisdom of God will be known through and by the church. So he's saying, church, you're in this with me for this reason, because we have to share the good news with all of the world. No big deal. For this reason, I'm going to my knees and praying. Right? Like, you better be praying for that. And what's he praying for? He's praying because he knows that we're going to need it. We're going to need inner strength coming from the unlimited, glorious riches of God. 
we're going to need inner strength. I think it's interesting that he says inner strength, which makes me just think, well, obviously we need more inner strength to be the church than outer strength. The whole world tries to flex its muscles with outer strength, but the church is relying on something different, some sort of inner strength that comes from the power of a spirit. This is what Paul is praying. This is an unbelievable prayer. And then he goes, I want Christ to dwell in your hearts. And by the way, you're going to start to understand how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. You're not going to understand how you understand it, but you're going to understand it. And this is what he's praying. And then on top of that, he says, and then, and then you're going to be able to experience the fullness of life that comes only from God. When you're rooted and established in love. That's a good prayer. Are you with me? I want some of that prayer. Paul, get on your knees and pray. Maybe we should be getting on our knees and pray, right? So I want to take a look at this scripture, and I want to talk about it from a perspective of what is Paul trying to do with the Ephesians, and what is he trying to do, and what is God trying to do with his church? Because when you look at a scripture, sometimes you can get bogged down right into the, into the moment. I always talk about we got to zoom out just a little bit. And this one, I don't want to zoom way up, but I want to just say he's talking about the church. And he's trying to give a description. And this is really where he starts to leap into the description of what the church is. If you read the rest of the letter, Paul talks a lot about the church. I've said this is the most churchy letter in the Bible, or churchy book in the Bible. This is it. He talks a lot about the church. And he's giving them a picture, not only through his encouragement, but his instruction and all these sorts of things of what is the church. And so with that in mind, I, I kind of want to talk about that. I want to talk about what is the church. And I believe there's this picture that we have of the church in our culture. There's an understanding of what the church is for so many people. And people come and go into the church for a number of different reasons. People go to church because you know, they've decided, hey, I need to go to church for, you know, my life's a mess. I need to get to church or whatever. And they start, they start trying to find the church that fits them, if you will. And so they, they look about different vibes, if you will. So they go into a church and maybe you found yourself in a place where I need to find a church, right? And so you go looking. Everybody been there? And you're like, I need to find the church that fits me, you know, the right vibes, the right, you know, right look, the right, the right wood palette ceiling. <laughs> I need to find the thing that just speaks to me, right? I need, and so you have that season of life where you're doing it, and I totally get it, I've been there. And, and, and you start going, and, 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 and what's happening is something that goes on, especially in America, and you have people, you can go to this next slide, where people are trying to find their way into a church, right? And they're trying to find the church that fits them, and, and, and I want to talk a little bit about that process you know, with no sort of, like preconceived, like, oh, this is the right way, the wrong way. It's none of, none of that. But there's something that's going alive, coming, coming to life that I believe happens in the American church. We're just going to talk about that for a minute. That is, it's just, it's just real. That's what I'm going to call it. I'll let you draw if there's any other words you want to add to it. But it's, it's real. And there's something going on that many of churches, and I'll go to the next slide, that I'll call an exchange that takes place. And this is kind of like, ooh, for a moment, but stay with me. There's an exchange that takes place for most churches in which people come in and they're going, I'll commit to a church in exchange for fill in the blank. Now that blank is different for different people, right? Some people are like, I'm looking for friends. I need a place that I can connect and belong. Where's my friends? So they come to church and they go, there's a lot of people that look like me here. I can make friends here. And they come. Or they go, that doesn't look like people I can be with here, so I'm, I'm going to go. Or they're looking for maybe something else. Maybe that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for, you know, the right worship style, 
right? And so they're like, oh, that's the great, that, I love that. I love the Stephen Curtis Chapman style that Micah sings with. It's so great. Just kidding, Micah. <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. He did awesome today, didn't he? It was awesome. I loved it. He was so great leading worship today. Um, and I'm, I'm being sincere now. Uh, <laughs> I really, oh gosh, this is going nowhere fast. Uh, but no, there, there's, maybe, maybe it's the style of worship, you know? Maybe you're like, no, I'm into the Hilly Song stuff or whatever it is, right? And uh, I did add a Y in there, in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, but, or it's great, great sermons. Like, you're looking, like, that's one of the big reasons people go to church. They try and find a place that they really connect with the sermons. And so maybe you're like a person, like, I really like the emotional one, or the really funny one, or the really smart-sounding one, or, or whatever. And so you find the one that's just right. And people go through this thing, and they're always... One of the big ones that I think when people are, that I encounter at least, is people often ask me, so what do you believe about this, this, and this? I mean, I got an email that long ago, and it was like, that's all it was. Like, hey, I'm coming into town. I want to know what you believe about these things. As if to say, I don't know anything about your church. I don't know what you're doing for the city. I don't know how you love Jesus. But I want to make sure we align in the way we believe, because beliefs are actually the most important thing to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so what happens in this is there's an exchange for, I'm going to come to your church if you believe the right thing. I'm going to commit to your church if you have the right kind of environments for me, whatever, so forth, so on. And this goes on and on and on. And what happens then on the church leadership side and what churches are trying to provide and trying to do is they start thinking, I need to provide things and I need to exchange things and I need to create these environments that have all these sorts of things. And so essentially what we have, next slide, is the church is trying to transform lives. Get this, this is not necessarily a good thing. Transform lives through best church practices. Essentially, the question becomes, who can do church best for me? Who can provide the best faith-based religious goods and services? Right? Churches work really hard, way too hard, to have the best bands, the most clever sermons, the best buildings. They just work way too hard at it. And we're right there in the mix of it, going, what are we really doing? What is church? Now, I believe in excellence. I believe in doing things well, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the identity and the heart of a church. I was told by a pastor I worked with several years ago that the church is the largest service industry in the world. And he meant it, like, in a good way. And, and although I believe that we sh- the church is supposed to be a servant, I, I didn't sit well with me. Like, church isn't a service industry as compared to, like, other businesses. And we're not in an industry. We, we are the people of God, purposed on this planet, to serve the kingdom of God, right? Like, something different to me, totally different. I'm not comparing ourselves to companies and businesses. I'm, that's not the... Anyway... And the truth be told, this is this what I'm describing, this exchange mentality, is actually a big struggle in the church. It's a big struggle for you and a big struggle for me. You get it? We're all in the struggle together, which is a great place to be, because that means we can all fight and learn how to live in a better way. So ultimately what happens is an exchange mentality. And you're like, what is the exchange? Well, there's a commitment. There's a commitment, and typically that commitment takes the form of time and money. And that's maybe just really too brutally honest, but I'm just talking here. Why not? We're a family. And so what that means is then 
hey, we're going to provide what you, the church is going to provide what you ask, and in exchange, you're going to commit to more time and money. Is this like getting just too weird? If it is, then that's what I'm saying. This is real. This is what the church is. And so what is the time factor? And time is actually our most valued currency. So that's really the big thing is there's a commitment of time. And that's why we say time is money. Time is of the essence. That's why when somebody says, hey, can you help me move this Saturday? You go, oh, I don't have the time. And you know what I mean? Like this is whenever someone wants to get delivered for lunch and you're like, I, I, we need to find the time to do it. And, and so ultimately what churches are talking about when it comes to time is they're saying, man, will, will people commit to one to four hours a week? One being kind of a low-end low kind of commitment and four being like you're really, really involved in the church. And, you know, that's like a, a big-time leader. And so there's that, that's the reality of what's going on. And, and what I find is that people then make their decisions on their church involvement based on time, what they're exchanging in forms of time. How much time can I give? And church leaders are then asking the question, are we asking too much of our people? Do we need to make sure that we have just the right amount of ask so we're not asking too much to bleed over into too much time? Are you with me? Do you feel this tension or am I making this up? Anyway, I, uh, I've been in ministry over 19 years now, believe it or not. I know I don't look that old. I started when I was seven. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway, I've been in church staff role for about 19 years. and I, I've encountered a lot of people that are in the church coming and saying, hey, I need, to, I need to change what I'm doing in terms of the way I'm serving in the church, or maybe they're in a leadership role. And, and they typically say something like, I'm just not feeling called to it anymore. I'm not feeling like I'm doing a great job. And, and, uh, and you think, well, okay, well, maybe they're transitioning to do something different. And that's typically not the case. Usually it's stepping back or stepping out that I'm talking about. And, and really what it comes down to, which is I've never said, they don't believe they're getting enough in exchange for their time. So lo no, no longer is the time worth it to them. And so therefore the time becomes a bad use of it and people step out of it. Are you with me? This is what happens. And then on the other hand, Christian leaders then go, well, in order to generate a deeper commitment, we need to create more in exchange for their time. <laughs> and so then you have like the promise of coming soon ministries, huge events, state fairs we're going to throw. Then over the course of time, uh, people start to go, man, something feels off about this. And then we start praying, well, God, what's your willingness? Am I supposed to give more time and money? Is that what this is about? And in the end, in this confusing mix of what is the church, we find the American church that is completely stripped of its power, completely lacking something. A lot of us don't know exactly what that something is. And we're going, why is it the church what it ought to be? Because I think Paul said the church is the body of Christ. Didn't he? And the body of Christ, meaning it's the head, headship of Jesus. Jesus is the head of that church. It means every person in the body has a place. 
Now, using the metaphor, that means some of you are going to be, you know, toes and ears and elbows or whatever, right? But you're all going to have a purpose and a place in the body. That's one of the descriptions and metaphors that Paul uses. And I'm going, is that the church where everybody feels like they're a part of the body? That they're all working together. Paul also uses the description that the church is the bride of Christ. Meaning, meaning, he has set the church aside as his most beautiful, most radiant thing. And he loves the church. In fact, just like in marriage, in Christ, the church and Jesus are one. And where the groom goes, the bride goes also. That's just kind of the way it is. And so when you hear people say, hey, I'm cool with Jesus and God, I like God, he's so awesome, but I'm just, I'm not into the church. Just telling you, that's a theological mess that doesn't work. Where the groom goes, the bride goes also. You can't be okay with Jesus and not be okay with the church. The church may have done, there may have been people that have messed up and marred your view of the church, but the church and Jesus go together. And so you have to love the church if you love Jesus. That's just the way it goes. So is this the picture? Is this the picture of church that we experience now, chances are, by the way, I know that was really real, and, and I hope that you're hearing my heart in the sense that I don't believe all churches do this. I don't believe all people do this when it comes to this exchange thing. I don't think that's really like what everybody's doing. A lot of people are seeking earnestly and prayerfully and humbly. I get all that. Church leaders are doing their thing in a good way. And, but chances are you and me and all of us can find some shreds of truth about us in that reality. Are you with me? For this reason, I'd like to join Paul in this prayer. Because the church needs it, man. The church needs us to be on our knees praying about a different church, about a church that's more like the one that Paul's writing about and the one that we read about in the scriptures, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. That's what the world needs. That's what you and I need. We don't need any more of this exchanging time and religious goods and services. <laughs> For this reason, I pray. Let me just read this prayer again that Paul writes. Maybe it's going to even sink in a little deeper now. Verse 14, Ephesians 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We need that. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, get this, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the whole measure of the, all the fullness of God. So, I just talked about a church, the American church, that has often rooted itself in what I'm calling an exchange mentality. Let me show you a different picture here, and I want to talk about a church that's rooted in love. One that's truly rooted in love. Not just superficially rooted in love, not just idealistically rooted in love, but one that is practically and holistically in every measure of who you are and the way you think as a body, all of us being rooted in love. What does that look like? What does a church like that feel like? One where everything we did was rooted in love. I just know this, that the goals would change. The goals would not be to make sure we are checking the box to make sure everybody feels happy. The goals would be, how do, we, how do we give sermons? How do we create things? How do we do ministry? How do you go to groups in which the purpose of them is to love God and love others? I Meaning you don't go to group for friendship anymore, although 
Thank God he makes community and there's a byproduct of community and friendship, but the purpose is to love God and love others. That's the purpose of it. That, that the sermon isn't supposed to impress or tickle ears or, or whatever. That the sermon, I have, to, I have to put this through my own scope, right? My own lens and go, is it leading people to love God and love others or am I just trying to get people to like me? I'm telling you, that's a real thing for pastors. That worship leaders would say, I don't want to just do the popular stuff, but I want to actually find lyrics and songs that just compel our church to celebrate and to worship God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And that the people would say, you know what? I'm not going to be confined to my time and my money. I want to be a kind of person that love knows no bounds. Now, that does not mean, oh, you shouldn't have any boundaries in life and what we're saying. I'm not, what I'm saying is when, the, when it's no longer in exchange, when it's rooted in love, what compels us is the purpose and the mission. What compels us is what we're doing and why we're doing it. It no longer becomes about the exchange and do I feel it enough and do I get the things that I want in exchange for it. It becomes something different. And when a church that is rooted in love kind of steps out in the world and says, this is who we are and this is what we do, it's an attractive thing. And, and there's, there's been much made about attraction in church, meaning what are we attracting people with? Well, I just believe there's nothing more attractive than a church rooted in the love of God operating as the bride of Christ, a radiant, beautiful bride of Jesus. Nothing more beautiful than that. Nothing more attractive than that. People want something genuine and real and authentically rooted in something of substance. They don't want just another place to feel like, hey, they've... They've provided these things for me and I feel satisfied with them because guess what? Eventually those things run out and it's no longer satisfying and we start looking for a better place. And the question is, what is church? Well, then it becomes about what church is doing it best for me once again and we start the cycle over again. Are you with me? True love real love, it's a love that knows no bounds. If you're married when you first fell in love, when you first fell in love, right, uh, there was this moment when time was no object. You know what I'm saying? Whenever you would get together and you were like, uh, you know, all of a sudden you're together four hours and you're like, you just, you just, you know what I'm talking about? Whenever you're like in that moment and falling in love and you're like, oh, we can talk on the phone for four or five hours. This is the best. And, and, and there's just something about time that comes no boundary anymore. You just do whatever you got. I mean, you're just together because you want to be together. Time, no, there's no boundary in love. Parents with kids, right? Like that, with your kid, there's hardly anything that you wouldn't do for them. There's no time or no money that you wouldn't, you wouldn't spend for your kids. Especially, now there's certain circumstances that some parents are like, I'm not giving them any more money. I get that. But, but really, if there's a kid really in need, right? Let's just make it a health issue. Like, how much have you seen parents who have struggled through health issues with your kids? There's no time and no dollar amount too big. They'll do whatever it takes because love knows no bounds in those situations. And I've thought, what if there was a church? What if we became a church in which there was truly love? Love didn't know any bounds. Now, that doesn't mean we're spending all of our time and all of our money. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what does it mean to be the church? It means to be a group of people rooted and established in love. 
That's why we talk so much about loving our city, loving our schools, loving our neighbors. It's not because it sounds good. We're trying to figure this out. We're trying to say, how can we become a church that truly is rooted and established in love where we aren't worried about, are we asking too much? Or we aren't worried about if, if, if we're giving enough and you're not worried about what you're getting and we're giving. And, and it's none of that. It's just like, no, we're love. It's love. It's love. Everything's love. It's, Jesus is, is enough. Jesus is all I need. And I just want to be a person of love. That's all I want to be. And I want to engage in loving activities and loving engagement in, in the world around me. If I could be that kind of person, then I know, guess what? Guess what? Here's the good news, verse 19. Whenever we can be that, verse 19, it says this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, if you know it, you, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You want to experience the fullness of God? It's a life of love. It's the church rooted in love. The other, another version, New Living Translation says that you experience the fullness of life that comes from God, which I, lo I love the fullness of life comment, I mean, you know, statement that obviously kind of rooted in John 10, 10, that he, he came to give us life to the full. It's in God's love that we receive everything we're looking for. When we're rooted in his love, well, by the way, if we're rooted in his love, that exchange that I was talking about, it's not fair at all. Because his love, when we root ourselves in love, what he gives us back in exchange is the fullness of life. That's not a fair exchange. He gave it all for us. So anyway, this, this is the church that we, we got to be. Are you with me? These are the people that we got to be. And this demands things of us. It demands things of me and Micah and our leadership. It demands things of our small group leaders. It demands things of you. It demands things of, of all of us to ask ourselves, what are we rooted in? What are we rooted in? You know, it started with my silly stories of liking something versus loving something because I wanted to give us some simple terms, if you will. Because I believe an exchange mentality, it actually, it, it leaves us liking the things of God, if I'm being really honest. But we all know there's a big difference between liking and loving. But I believe that's what the exchange mentality leads to, and I believe that's why the church is so limited in its power, and that's why the church is so weak. I would not use the word strong to describe the American church, unfortunately although there are glimpses of strength and there are churches that are strong, that the American church as a whole is lacking. And I, and I know I could say this about the global church. I'm just staying right here at home for a moment. And, and, and we all have the unlimited power of Jesus available to us, but when we're rooted in something else, I just, I just don't know if we can really, really experience what he talks about giving us inner strength from the glory of his riches. I just, I just don't know any other way to experience it than figuring out what it means to uproot the things that have robbed me of real life, to uproot the lies that I believed in, to uproot maybe even what the church unintentionally has done in terms of our understanding of what the church is, to uproot that stuff and say, you know what, I understand now. I understand 
that a life with Jesus is about being a person that's rooting myself in the love of God. And that's how I'm actually gonna experience and understand how wide his, really, his love really is. His, wide, his, his love is so wide that it actually spans the entire cosmos, the entire universe. He holds everything together in his hands. He keeps it all together for the purpose of us. He doesn't let this whole place blow up because of us. And, be, and he loves it so wide that every person on the planet can experience it. It's for them. That's how wide his love is so high. It's so high that, that, that it will exceed any, any challenge or any wall or any obstacle that comes up in front of us. He'll carry us over it if we let him. It's so deep that no matter how deep of a hole we found ourselves in, no matter how shameful our sin is, no matter how dead we feel, he will raise us back to life. He will set us up and call us a child of God and say, you are my beloved, my chosen one. That's how high he'll take us out of the depth. And it's so long that you can run for the rest of your life to try and catch it and you'll never catch it because it's so long. His love for us and he's saying, if you'll just root yourself in my love for you, you'll just rest in it. You'll just know that that's all you need. If you just do that, it will transform you and you'll become a people that are rooted in the love of God. And guess what? You'll start changing the world because for this reason, I kneel and pray. For this reason, I kneel and pray for the sake of the world. That is our calling. That is who we are supposed to be. And then on top of that, he says, oh, just a little icing on the cake for you. This is how you experience the fullness of life. In case you're looking for something for yourself, I got it. Are you with me? Too many of us live unfulfilled lives and it's because we've rooted our life in the wrong things. Whether that be jobs, whether that be other people, relationships, the list can go on and on and we talk about it all the time. And sometimes what I'm saying today, it's unintentionally rooted in the wrong things. You didn't mean for it to happen. We didn't mean for it to happen. But we can say, okay, we can do better. God's called us to more and he's showing us the truth. For this reason, I go to my knees and pray. I love that. So I wanna invite us to prayer. I wanna invite us to maybe even some of us, you're gonna feel compelled to say, I need to get on my knees and pray today. This altar is open for us to say, I need to pray. And so many often we like to pray for ourselves and we like to pray for outer strength. And what I'm encouraging us today is say, we're praying for us. We're praying for inner strength to be the church the best way we know how. That's who we ought to be. So if you'd bow your heads with me. Father, I pray for us as a church to be a people whose love knows no bounds. We don't pray this for our sake or for our credit or our prestige, but for your glory. And Lord, we pray that we would seek your kingdom instead of seeking more for us. May we learn what it means to love like you loved, Father. Just as a way of responding, everybody's heads bowed. If, if, if this morning you need to be, you need to be confronted with where you're rooting your life, 
and you just needed to say, I, I want to be rooted in the love of God, if that's in your heart right now, that's running through your mind and you're feeling the Spirit speaking to you, it's just a way of responding to Him. It's not to me responding to Him by saying, God, I hear you this morning. I want to root my life in the love of God. If you just want to lift your hand to say, I'm responding to you, Lord, just lift your hand right now. It's good. It's so good. Father, when we be your people, rooted in the right things, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So this altar's open as we sing together. Would you stand with us?